Hello, my dear friends. Welcome to another episode of the Painting Pictures Podcast. I'm Gabriel Roberts, and I'm coming to you from Cochabamba, Bolivia, which is in uh, in South America. And it's definitely it's definitely in South America. If you were here, you would uh, look around and think, "Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much." Somebody just came out and sat down in the hammock right outside my studio window and uh, was debating for a while about whether or not to record in here and figuring uh, I'd give it a go. But I knew I'd have to stop if some people were to come hang out by the ping pong table right outside. I don't know where the microphone is on this computer. Or, um, someone in hand comes in this hammock, and, uh, sure enough, about 20 seconds into my podcast, I've been really, uh, trying to get up the gusto to do, <laughs> you know, I've been thinking about it, and it's not been easy, and I had to cut a piece of panel to put on a couple pieces of board on top of this thing that might have at one point been a desk to give it a top. <laughs> I did all that so that I could sit and record a podcast. And um, as soon as I start, <laughs> this fucking person comes and lies down in the fucking hammock right outside the fucking studio. <laughs> so I'm going to have to stop now and go record my room where it's really hot. I think I'm going to make coffee, damn it. Sounds like there might be closeness. You might hear closeness, whereas before you may have heard openness. It's because I'm I'm facing a wall in the corner because this is the best place I can go to sit and record and not be overheard. Although, of course, um, once as soon as I got my little cup of coffee here, which is a bold move, it being five almost five thirty p.m. More on that later. Um, I got my little cup of coffee and made it and I was all set to go back to my room to record the podcast and um, I glared indignantly at the girl lying in the hammock outside my studio as I passed and I'm now back in the hottest, probably the hottest place in this whole compound and Maybe the hottest part of the day, too. 5.30, just before the sun sets. It's really hitting these windows hard. So, you know, good idea, bad idea. I don't know. Uh, But it's time to make a podcast. Well, I get back here and I I open the refrigerator back here to pour some milk into my little cafecito. And uh, what do you know? (laughs) One of the girls who lives also has a room back in this little casa 
comes back and uh, pulls out her computer and sets it up on the table in the adjacent room, which is, had been empty this whole afternoon, you know, could have been back here probably when I've started to think about recording the podcast, I could have come back here, done it, and been done with it before she even got here. But of course, now that I had the delay with the hammock, the coffee, now there's somebody right there. Fortunately, English is not her first language, so she probably can't tell that I'm talking about her, even if she could hear me. If I were to speak to her in English, she could kind of understand it, but um, I we should be good. Um, now I need to take a bathroom break. All right, Charlie, let's do this thing. What do you say? Enough of this pooping. <laughs> oh, that's what I that's what I did in the bathroom. <laughs> Went number two, or numero dos, as they say in Bolivia. Not really. I I don't think they say that. Caragar um, is the word for shit. It's also the word for charge. Like to charge your phone is to car, I believe is to cargar, <laughs> which is also the word for poop. Like I just said, um, those seem like opposites to me. Like, well, you know, um, you can figure that out. Like one is sort of to like put something in, and another is to sort of like take something out. But that's that's what it is. You know, the English language has plenty of vagaries and inconsistencies. In fact, I believe that the Spanish language is, in most ways, superior to the English language, um, mostly in, it, in its consistency. And it does have irregularities, but they're consistent irregularities. And I, I can't imagine trying to learn English, really. Fortunately, I don't have to, and that um, that's amazing. That's that's like the one thing that you just get when you are born in the United States is you speak English, and that's something um, that allows you, if you want, you could go teach English in a foreign country. I'm not doing that, but I potentially could, um, and that's something you know you didn't have to you didn't have to go to. Well, I guess you went to school, but you know. Um, that's like a gift from God to us Americans is that everybody wants to speak this English language. Well, I'm in Cochabamba, which is really, uh, what is it? It's a city. <laughs> it's a city. Uh, it's a good sized city and then it's not too big. I like that. Um, it's up at like 8,000 feet which I'm pretty well accustomed to now. Um, it's also very polluted. Apparently it is the most polluted city in South America. Did I get that right? Charlie, can you check that fact for me? Um, that's not like something to be super proud of, but um, that is what it is. And it has to do with the geography, um, more specifically the topography. <laughs> that's the ups and downs. Folks, the ups and downs of the lands. You got your ups, which are like mountains, and they uh, surround what's like a, a down, which is the, the valley where Cochabamba is. It's a fertile plain. It's very fertile. And it also collects 
smog. Um, and of course, this is an issue is not helped by the emissions regulations or lack thereof. You could do a whole thing on um, on the lack of regulations. That's got to be one of the biggest differences. For example, there's a plaza in town, the Plaza Principal, also known as the Plaza 14 de Septiembre. One day I'll, I'll look up what, the, what happened on the 14th of September. Um, maybe it was just when they made this plaza. But I doubt it. It's probably a significant event in Bolivian history. It's a beautiful plaza and it's next to the uh, cathedral in town. And it's been under construction. And it's a big square plaza with colonnades around it and walkways underneath the colonnades, you know, in the surrounding buildings, and then the open center with palm trees. And what they've, when I arrived, that that was all closed off. So you could uh, make your way through the colonnades. I think there's another word for it. But, you know, under the overhangs, um, but you couldn't go into the actual plaza. And they had this um, green and yellow um Fabric, kind of plasticized fabric, you know what I mean? Blocking it, and it had some holes in it where you could peek in, like, ooh, look, they're working on the plaza. Well, they recently, um, either they recently decided to open it to the public, or that um, fabric just sort of gradually got uh, taken down by <laughs> adventuresome locals who decided they wanted to. To pass through because the place is by no means done. There's still a lot of construction going on, um, and particularly like the sort of infrastructure things like uh, pipelines and electrical lines, and so there's holes, you know, throughout, and um, guys sort of you know digging in, digging out, and laying lines and, and wiring things up, and but you can still walk around and. And there, there aren't even, uh, well, there are some cones somewhere, but um, like if you wanted to, you could just, like these guys were yesterday hanging uh, a sign, like a big metal sign up on a, a pole on, on one of the, the streets that leads into the plaza. And if you wanted to, you could just like walk right under it, just walk right under it and look up at it and be like, hey, what are you guys doing? And... Uh, <laughs> that would be, you know, there's no barrier. Um, people just like stepping over cables and stepping over the cracks and the holes. And it's all kind of like, um, you know, at your own risk. Um, another example is like this uh, walkway that's, you know, got planters down the middle of it. It's an alleyway, essentially. It connects two streets. Um, it doesn't have ramps up to it like for cars. It's not, it would be wide enough for cars except for the row of planters and, and trees and benches down the middle of it. It's it's a walkway. But I was walking today and this guy <laughs> just cruised past me on a scooter. And, um, you know, if I, if I had tripped and fallen to the side, I would have gotten run over by a scooter in this pedestrian walkway. But again, that's at my own risk. And... Actually, I really appreciate that because it puts the liability squarely on your own shoulders to sort of take care of your own shit and not blame 
you know, some construction company for leaving a gaping hole with a, a live wire in a puddle of water in the bottom of it in your, in your walkway. That's not their fault. They're working. You know, you should be more careful. I bought coffee today. Uh, I'd been pretty good about... Well, I just hadn't bought coffee as a grocery item. I'd gone out and had a handful of cups of coffee. I'm going to say three because I can remember them all and I can remember how they all cost about 15 Bs, a.k.a. Bolivianos. And that's part of the reason I, I went ahead and bought some coffee is I'm, I'm tired of paying 12 or 15 Bolivianos for a cup of coffee. Now, if you convert that to U.S. dollars, um, being that the dollar is about one to seven to Bolivianos, more or less. It's actually, the Boliviano is a little stronger than that. It's at like 6.9 today. So your 15B cup of coffee is really about, wait for it, well, $2. <laughs> Call it $2. $2 in a little bit. So that's like what you would pay for a cup of coffee in the States, right? Yes. So it's not like that's an absurd expense, but I'm trying to ratchet my mind down to this budget I'm on and to, I'm, I'm like putting myself into Bolivia and Boliviano's mode. And a 50 Boliviano note, you know, 50, 50 Bs, that's what? $7? A little more? Seven and a couple? But I'm not, I'm not treating that like just $7. I'm treating that as like, this is 50 Bolivianos here, okay? This isn't something to be parted with lately. So I'm trying to adjust because if you, if, if you go around and you convert everything to dollars, then you're just going to spend a shitload of money because everything, even if it's like 100 Bs, you're like, eh. <laughs> eh, that's like 12 bucks. Um... 15 bucks, 10 times. So this is how I do the multiplication. Like if I'm going to multiply, what's 15 times 7? Okay, so I multiply, first I take 10 and multiply it by 7, I get 70. And then I multiply 5 by 7 and I get 35. And then I add the two together and get 105. So yeah, it is like 15. What? See? Does anyone else do it that way? Or is anyone else way smarter and just like, does it without breaking it down into little bits like that. I don't know. I've always been, I've never admitted to this. I guess I've always been slightly embarrassed about how I do multiplication <laughs> in my head. But, you know, it's just, it works. It takes a little longer, but it works. So if you can keep your cool, you can get those answers. And you can come off as being a smart cookie. I'm sure there's some people who are just like 15 times 7 is 105. <laughs> And they just blurt it out automatically. But that's not me, folks. It never has been. Never been a math guy. Never been a math guy. I'm almost done with this little cup of coffee. I'm really, um, boy, I'm really getting crazy. It's all because that fucking girl came and sat down in that hammock. I wouldn't be here right now. I'd be in my cool studio. I'd be sipping on orange juice. I had decided, I thought about coffee. And I thought, first of all, it's not a coffee day. It's Monday. But see, the whole thing is getting opened up now. The whole 
the can of worms is getting opened up now that I have coffee. Because now I can make coffee whenever I want. And so I'm back in that situation where I'm, I'm, uh, I must um, pick my, choose my, pick my pineapple. I must pick my pineapple and choose it wisely. It's, it's all on me again. I can't, there's no gray area. Oh, this makes much sense, I know. But stay with me, okay? Stay with me. Um, and then I thought, well, it's kind of late in the day to have coffee. And then, but then I was like, well, there's this little tiny espresso pot that makes like a single espresso shot. And I was like, if I, if I drink that, I'm going to be fine, right? And then I was also like, well, I just bought this coffee today. I should sample it. So this technically, this technically doesn't count. I'm just sampling it. And the verdict is I put in more sugar than it needs to, and it tastes great. More sugar than I needed to. More sugar than it needed. Uh, I've got a bunch of little items to toss around, you know, to throw into the wind here. I, I can't believe we're already at 15 minutes. Um, in my mind, I thought for a while, because it's been a while since I've made a podcast, I thought that I didn't have much to talk about. And I didn't feel very funny because I'm not really, I'm not busting out a lot of jokes around here, to be honest. Um, I'm kind of a serious cat. That's, that's probably what I should just finish this intro with is admitting to the fact that I've been a really serious cat since arriving here at Sustainable Bolivia, which is the organization um, that, that uh, put together this artist residency program that showed up on the Google search for artist residency Bolivia. <clears throat> and they have this compound. Um, it's a house. It's a house, but everything, all the houses here are walled in on four sides, like a compound. And within this, within the four walls, los Bolivia Sostenible, entre los tres paredes de Bolivia Sostenible, hay... Una casa grande y una casa pequeña que se llama La Casita. Y allí vivo yo. That's right. I live in La Casita. Um, there's a patio and then there's my studio, which is kind of like in the middle of the yard against one of the walls next to the patio where people hang out and play ping pong. It has these two large uh, double doors that that don't really close. Like it's impossible to to like actually close them from the inside. Or if you did, you'd have to like lift them up and slide them onto the concrete slab, and you'd make so much noise. And I always feel awkward closing the doors if there's somebody right outside because it's one of those things where it's like I'm closing the door. I want to say like I'm closing this door for both of us, and I'm not mad. But I don't say anything, and then I'm afraid that they're sitting there, and they see me closing the door, and they're like, oh, shit, was I being too loud? Oh, God. And uh, whatever. You just have to let that fly. You can't always explain yourself and everything you do. But, yeah, I got here, and I've pretty much been um, focusing on getting my studio set up and um, getting the food situation figured out, which is where to shop. And I am amazed now, like, it doesn't even cross my mind, the idea of getting sick. Sick to the stomach, a lot of, a lot of talk about that, a lot of chatter, a lot of buzz. It was a hot topic 
uh, you know, you go to South America, you're going to get sick, don't get sick, don't drink the water. You can't drink the water. I don't drink the water, but I brush my teeth with the water. Sometimes I swallow a little bit. I rinse my vegetables with the water. First couple days, I was, like, using filtered water um, in a bowl to, like, rinse everything and um, using filtered water to brush my teeth. And now I don't even think about it. But getting the food situation figured out, where to shop, what's my diet like, you know, it's going to have a lot of chicken. That's the moral of the story. It's going to have a lot of chicken because chicken's cheap. Um, and it uh, fills you up. And it's good. The chicken here is good. They have some really good chicken. <laughs> oh, my God. Have you had the chicken in Bolivia? They have good chicken. It's like, I think it's pretty good. <laughs> um so yeah, I've been I've been cooking chickens. A big step forward was I bought a whole chicken. In Boyo Entero, Tio. I bought a whole chicken. Uh, it had the head and everything. I brought it home and I cut its little head off. I put it in a pot and I made stock. I made a soup. Ate the chicken, the boiled chicken. It was so tasty. And that's when I really felt like I'd, I'd made it. You know, if you are uh, making chicken soup quality chicken soup, if you are simmering stock for a whole afternoon and sampling it, turning it up and adding a little more water, turning it up and turning it down again, if you're doing that, then you're, you're not, you're kind of out of traveling mode. You, you have to be pretty well planted, I would say. So that was like a big sign that I had, you know, gotten it figured out to a large extent. And, um, and uh, and then the other big thing is about me being a serious cat is I'm on a budget. Gabe's on a budget. And that's because uh, I'm not making any money here because I'm in Bolivia and I'm here to paint. And I'm not trying to make money. And I don't really know what I would do. I guess I'd probably suck dick. But at this point, um, you know, I don't have to do that. Um, and so, you know, so that's something I can just do, like, you know, for, for the fun of it. And that's, that's, and that's what I'm focusing on is, is my art and painting. And that's the whole reason I, I did the whole fundraising drive. And I worked really hard in the days leading up to this was to make the money to be here and not have to work. And what, I mean, it's not even an, like an idea that I could work. I couldn't work here legally, whatever. So anyway, I did some math did some math, folks. Um, I used a calculator because uh, as even though it, I can do multiplication, I cannot do long division in my head. Um, well, I kind of I think I kind of do the same use the same system of like breaking things down and then adding them up later, but it, it just doesn't work as well. So I uh, used the calculator and I did a budget and my budget is 50 Bolivianos a day. So again, we're back to that 50 note that we're like assigning importance to. And um, so far, so good. I'm actually, I am, <laughs> this is how anal I am. I have here a notebook where I record my expenses for every day. That's right, folks. Every single thing that I purchase, I write down. I don't usually, I don't do it as I go. I generally keep track in my mind. Go back at the end of the day and add things up. I may have missed a couple things here or there, but I really, I don't think so. Um, and uh, so 50 bees a day, if you do seven days, you get 360 Bolivianos, or 350. 
that's the weekly budget, which is um, $50, $50 a week. That's the budget. And is that right? Yeah, that's right. So week one, uh, and the key, the, okay, so the key is, of course, you're going to go over. So week one, uh, the first day I was at exactly 50 Bs. Day two, I was at 42 Bolivianos. Ah, got eight Bolivianos in my back pocket. Day three, 53 Bolivianos. Okay, we're down to just five Bs surplus. Day four, January the 10th, Gabe hits the Hypermaxi supermarket and drops 157 Bolivianos. I did buy a bottle of olive oil uh, and some other things. So then, um, then, so then how do you do it? How do you do it? You went over, you went three, you were three times over your budget. Well, here's the key. Day five, January 11th, zero Bolivianos. <laughs> That's right. And I got to tell you folks, a zero Boliviano day feels every bit as good as a zero dollar day. Um, actually it feels better because I don't, uh, I'm not ever, I don't ever really, I've never thought about a budget this um, specifically or this uh, much. <laughs> but the key to, so the key to these, to being in the budget is you some, some days you have to get in a zero Boliviano day. You just have to go a whole day without spending any money. And um, it seems crazy. And like part of you, you go through most of the day and, 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 and you start thinking, oh, I just got to go buy something because I feel weird because I haven't spent any money today. Well, no, you got to get over that. It's like the same as like his craving for a cigarette. You just got to let it pass. Um, so I had a zero Boliviano day on January 11th. Day six, 58 Boliviano day. Um, I think I had done the math at that point and I was already at 360 Bolivianos. I was 10 Bs over my budget with one day to go. And well, I also the 13th, my day seven, zero Bolivianos again. I'm going to abbreviate the uh, next week. I do want to note that day six or day five and six in week two were both zero Boliviano days. I think that's pretty notable to have two in a row like that. I don't know if that'll ever happen again. Um, and the grand total was 339 Bolivianos. So that's 11 Bs under. So I'm currently one Boliviano under my budget. Now in week three, I'm already five days in, and I'm already over budget. Not, I mean, I'm not over the 350, but I'm, I'm, only, I'm down to 38 Bs for the next two days, which you can do if you don't buy beer. That's what this all comes down to. I, to this point, I've spent all of eight Bolivianos on beer. And um, and I'd say my life is pretty much as good as if I had spent 800 Bolivianos on beer. Maybe not. I mean, it depends when that was spent. If that was all spent one night, that would be probably a pretty great night. Um, but you can do that. You could spend 800 bees on a, um, you know, the same way you could spend $100 out um, at bars, so I just haven't I haven't gone out at all. I've been uh, you know refusing or declining invitations, which has been good. Um, but then then the fear is like if you keep declining, 
will they keep asking? And um, and I don't know. So I may be, you know, I'm towing the line of being too much of like a tight ass. But the bottom line is, folks, what, at the end of the day, what's most important? What's more important to me? Uh, making is, you know, having these full three months here to, to paint and be here or having, you know, a few fun nights in there. But the few fun nights then lead to, at the end of this trip, me being like almost out of money. Um, I don't really want to, I don't really want to go there. So we'll see, we'll see how the budget's going to change. You know, there's some change on the horizon. Um, my, uh, my fiance is coming to join me here in Bolivia. And so we're, that will probably, uh, cut down on expenses cause I'll, I'll just have her pay for everything. So that should help a lot. Um, but you know, then there always, there's things on both ends of the equation. That's how it always works. You know, that's an unexpected thing. Like, Oh, cool. Like, you, you know, uh, all of a sudden your fiance is paying for everything. Um, but then something else could come up, like I need a new pair of shoes. So you just never know what's going to come down the pipeline. And uh, so far, I'm pretty happy sticking within my budget. Um, this episode of the Painting Pictures podcast is brought to you by a very special group. Um, they are the Magical Elves of Communal Living. And this is a very particular type of elf. They are largely invisible. And they um, only appear and work in our realm, in our dimension. They only do their work when people are living together in groups of two or three now, their uh, presence becomes stronger when the, the number of people living together increases. Um, I'm just giving you, the, this is like, I, you know, in the future I'll be able to just tell you this podcast is brought to you by the Magical Elves of Communal Living, but I figure I'd better, I just want to talk about our sponsor a little bit, explain them to you a little bit in case you aren't familiar. You probably are familiar with them if you have lived with other people the magical elves are the ones that will empty the trash. Um, they they're very good at emptying things. Like when the trash gets full, you know, and um, and you just want maybe it crosses your mind as you're like just cramming stuff in the bag or like balancing things on top of a pile of trash. Like I wonder how this is gonna get taken out, but you don't have to worry about that because the magical elves of communal living. We'll take out the trash and they'll put it in a new trash bag. Also, if you have a recycling container and, you know, you're throwing plastic bottles in there and glass bottles in there and bits of plastic and random things that you think, I think this is probably recyclable. Um, the magical elves of communal livings are the ones that will take out that bucket and they'll take the, the they'll disassemble the pyramid that you have assembled of bottles on top um, they'll take that off first so that they can actually physically remove the bin. Um, then they'll come back and get those things that they took off and take those out. And then they'll also sort the recycling and put in the garbage all the things that you fucking idiots think are recyclable, which are obviously not because there's 
two recycling bins. There's one for glass and there's one for plastic. And do you really think that that disgusting bag of milk, that's right, milk comes in bags in South America, is recyclable? Um, the other thing that the magical elves of communal living are fantastic at is emptying the dish rack. So, you know, when you're doing your dishes and um, there's just like the, already the dish rack is completely full of dishes and you are just washing a couple, like your cup, and it's dripping wet and you go and you just balance it on top of that stack of dishes in the dish rack. And the thought might cross your mind like, oh, it, I'm only going to be able to balance like a couple more things on there. The thing where all the silverware sits is is chock full already. Um, like I literally cannot force another knife into that thing of silverware. And you might wonder where what happens next. But then you know just walk away because again the magical elves of communal living will come and they will empty that dish rack for you. So there's, I mean I'm so these. They're, they're sponsoring our podcast today, and I just want you all to take a moment to, to recognize these amazing elves and um, just be grateful for them. And that's what makes communal living so great is you don't have to do you know the annoying things like emptying the trash, and you don't even have to think about it. Like You don't even have to think about it. And now, if you do, you can know that it's the magical elves of communal living that have done this for you. So thanks to you guys very much for sponsoring our podcast. Well, um, I'll take a quick break and come back with more. These are the things that bother me. These are the things that bother me. Maybe they shouldn't. Here's something that bothers me, and maybe it shouldn't. The attitude of waitresses or waiters around the amount of money that you are going to spend at their restaurant. And this is the attitude whereby they treat you according to how much money you're going to spend. They treat you worse the less money you're going to spend. If you start out by ordering water to drink, you're just off to a bad start, and their attitude is going to come at you hard, and their attitude is going to come at you with a sort of downward pressure that says, you low-life no good, cheap ass motherfucker ordering water. And they come up and they ask you, Well, can I get you anything to drink? They say it so casually. But what they're really saying is, Will you please order an alcoholic beverage because that's the way I'm going to get a good tip? It's so disingenuous. And you say, Oh, no, I, um, you know, I'm, I'm, water is fine. And they say, Oh, water is fine. And then Maybe the person you're with also just orders water and they say, Oh, water for you too? Okay, I'll be right back with those. It's so thinly veiled, they're disgust that you're not throwing down $12 on a fucking cocktail. 
This plays out further in the meal. It's like anything short of a round of appetizers, followed by the most expensive entrees on the menu, followed by a dessert, is a slap in the face to them. And makes you a waste of space, a waste of their time and space. Now, I understand if a restaurant is busy, buzzing, full of people, you go in, you get a table, and you order an appetizer and sit there for two hours. I can understand a waiter having a little bit of attitude because you're taking up a place that somebody who actually wants to eat an actual full meal might take. But I've experienced this in an empty restaurant when I was this my I was the, the only other party. There was one other party of two, and there was a party of two included myself. And we got this attitude from this waitress about how we were just splitting a uh, splitting a, a sandwich to eat. And it's like, oh, I'm sorry. Would you prefer I didn't come in here and spend whatever money I'm going to spend and tip you? Of course. And I, then I, um, I'm a good tipper. I'm a good tipper. But not with that kind of attitude. And actually, even with that kind of attitude, I usually am. But what is this expectation? Where, where, since when did things get turned around? So you're going in and somehow you want to please the waiter by ordering an expensive meal. That's not how this is supposed to work. They're supposed to please you because you're paying them to wait on you. Unbelievable how things get twisted around in, in this country. Well... I speak of the United States and Canada. Anyhow, that bothers me. These are the things that bother me. These are the things that bother me. Maybe they shouldn't. Maybe they shouldn't. But these are the things. These are Dogs here in Cochabamba are such assholes. I have never encountered such asshole dogs in my entire life. Uh, the problem is that these dogs are all kept inside these walled houses. And so their window to the world is like the crack underneath the gate. And their sole source of entertainment seems to be harassing anybody that should walk by. And they go apeshit. They're some of the most ferocious dogs. And then they kind of get into it together, like as a group. Like these dogs, they don't know each other because they're separated by walls. But they have a vague sense of community on a street. So that if you piss off one dog, he's going to raise the alarm. And all the dogs on the street are going to run and slam themselves into the gates as you pass just letting out the most ferocious, snarling sounds that really would make you believe that they would eat you alive if they could. If they could get through that fence, they would eat you alive. And this is so normal here. It's so passe and expected. It's like, oh, well, you know, you were walking by. No, no, that's not <laughs> acceptable. Okay. I'm walking here. I shouldn't be. Your dog is is a problem, but but that's not the case. Barking dogs are not problems. Barking dogs are just normal, and 
Also, the, there's sort of a vague or loose sense of ownership between the owner and the dog. So they, like, have the dog, but they maybe they probably don't let the dog inside. They probably never take the dog on a walk. Sometimes they let the dog just roam out in the street. It doesn't have a collar. They Maybe they feed it, but it's not like a pet. The dog is just there to harass anybody that should come near you. It's a security thing. I get that, right? You know, you have a guard dog. But holy shit, these dogs here um, make it really unpleasant sometimes. And they also bark in the middle of the night. And there's this one fucking little dog down the street that always has to have the last bark. And even when no one is barking, all the other dogs have shut up. They've all realized that nothing's happening. There's nothing they need to bark at. This little one will just go on because it knows it has everybody's attention. It knows that everybody's listening at that moment and wants to prove that it's the one that gets to keep barking to the last fucking moment. I really want to poison that dog. I want to find some really deadly poison and walk out in the middle of the night, put it in something delicious like a little bun, like a delicious little bread bun with peanut butter in it, put this fucking poison in it and find that little dog and poison it. But I probably won't do that because I don't know where to get poison. I guess I could use rat poison. But I'm not going to do that. But I'm just, uh, (laughs) it's just something to adjust to. It's just something to get used to. And uh, if you don't really like dogs, um, also if you're in a wheelchair, uh, I would not recommend this town. flight to Cochabamba early in the morning on January the 7th. I was flying from La Paz, Bolivia, which is the capital and the main airport. Um, It's a pretty crappy airport, I'm not going to lie. They had this awful crash scene going. I got there at like 3 in the morning and had three hours to try to sleep in the airport and in the main terminal, they had this crash scene set up for Christmas. Now, again, this was January 7th, so it's up a little late, I'd say. Uh, but not only was it, you know, up still, it was alive still with the tinkling of lights and the sounds of Christmas music. <laughs> but you can't really call it music. It was more like Christmas noise you know the noise that, uh, it's like an electronic sound. So this is like, it's not a speaker that makes this noise. It's sort of akin to the noises that computers first made in the like very early days of computer games. And it's like, they have like four tones that they can make and they're, none of them sound good. And then somehow they've got this program that makes a song, quote unquote song, out of these four tones, and it's like a, it's like, <laughs> it wasn't Silent Night, but Silent Night would sound something like this, I mean, but it wouldn't even be that good because it wouldn't even have that many different notes that it could make. We'd somehow have to assemble a silent night out of four notes. 
I don't remember what Christmas songs were playing, but I believe that there were two of them playing. And this is like a, this crush scene set up with, you know, it was low and wide and just like on a tarp in the, <laughs> against a window in the middle of the terminal. And it had the lights that were like, some lights were running and some lights were flashing. And it had this terrible music going. And there was a, a security guard sitting in this little booth next to it. And he was asleep. He was like just sitting with his head in his hands uh, asleep at his desk at like three in the morning. And I was about to unplug the thing so that I could get some sleep. And then this family came up and sat down, and I just didn't want to do it in front of them. I, I, anyway, I, I ended up putting in earplugs and catching a little bit of sleep. But on the flight, I um, I got on. I was boarding a plane. I had my little backpack, and then I had a big backpack, and I had my easel in my hand. And so I needed to find room in the overhead bin for my easel and for the backpack. And the uh, the bin above my seat was full. And I was seated somewhere in the, the first portion of the plane, and so I went a little further down, and I found an open one. And I go to put my bag in it, and the people in the row say, no, that's ours. That's our compartment. Now, they're already sitting there. They've already put their fucking bags up in the compartment. But they... Tell me that that's their compartment. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. And I point at the one over mine. And I say, mine is already full. And I put my shit in there. <laughs> I said, fuck you. I didn't say that, but that's how I felt. And then I turn to go back to my seat. But, of course, now there's a flood of passengers boarding a plane coming at me. And I'm like a salmon trying to make its way upstream. And so I'm, I'm sort of like in halfway in these people's aisle that were not pleased with me to begin with because I was putting stuff in their compartment. And I kind of like one person goes by and I managed to get up like one row and, and sidle into the next row up and over. And then I'm getting bumped by these people coming by and they really, they're like, what the fuck is this gringo doing in this fucking aisle? Why are you here? And they kind of like a couple people kind of bump me. And so I kind of like bump into the lady sitting there. This little lady like shoves me back. She shoves me and says like, you are bothering me very much. And I said, I'm really sorry, senora. She says, me estas molestando mucho. <laughs> Finally, the flight attendant takes notice. And I sort of, I go coast back down ahead of the stream. And I, I say to her like, you know, I need to get my seat up there. I need to get to my seat. It's like, which one are you? And so then he he kind of like, he's not, he is not ready to impose his authority as much to tell the people to stop and let me by. He doesn't even feel that confident in his own authority. He kind of waits for a break and waits for a somewhat uh, meek looking fellow to, to, to reach out and say stop to and then so I can finally get to my seat. First of all, you don't own the luggage compartments above your seat do not belong to you. Those are not your fucking luggage compartments. Um, and if they were, um, you know, only you would be allowed to put things in them. But as it is, you know, people board the plane and they put their shit up and gradually they fill up and it's it's just whatever. You know, you got to find room for your shit. Um, second of all, like, there's probably a good reason that this fellow is trying to get up to his seat like he probably didn't just saunter down 
wait and then decide to go back upstream and fuck you up. Like maybe you could just pause and let him pass. Anyway, it was it was you know six in the morning and uh, I was a little frazzled, but I made it. I made it in my seat. Um, the guy who was sitting next to me sort of witnessed the whole thing, and he was he was very much in disapproval of of my of my conduct. He didn't know exactly the details, but he knew that I was the source of a lot of conflict, um, and he was quite sure it was all my fault. And so he he projected a sense of dis. He was mostly he was just disappointed in me, and um, and and a little bit indignant, you know, that I was even there. <laughs> so that's how my Bolivian experience began. Um, it's gotten a lot better. It really has. I. I I think that the people here, by and large, are quite friendly. I've had a lot of nice conversations with them. Uh, at the same time, I kind of have this sense of like, you know, all right, this is Cochabamba. It's it's cool. It's nice. I'm gonna have a good time here. I'm gonna I'm gonna make some cool stuff. But um, it isn't like opening up its arms to welcome me. And in general, Bolivia is not opening up its arms to welcome foreigners. And I guess that's all right, you know? That's fine. I, I don't blame them. I don't blame them, but it's interesting to deal with that uh, feeling of discrimination. Like, there's this kid that's helping work on this little construction project in one of the buildings nearby here. I've walked by and passed it a few times. They're uh, adding masonry to, to make a, a wall that previously had uh, sort of divots in it where plants were growing to, to just take those out and make it full height all the way around so it's going to be more secure I guess and he's um, applying you know he's a mason he's a little mason kid um, and I don't know what he thinks of me but he's seen me walking by a few times and I think he's seen me twice wearing a different pair of, of brand new shoes uh, now that's a, a different subject it might trials and tribulations with, with getting my footwear situation figured out. But I can just feel him uh, eyeing me with uh, a sense of um, yeah, disapproval. Who is this kid? What is he, who is this guy? What does he think he's doing coming into our, our country and flashing his money around? And I'm really not, okay? I'm really not. Um, I can tell him about my budget. I wonder what his budget is. Probably not 50 bees a day. It's probably more like 10 bees a day. But I don't know. Maybe maybe not. He's got a job, so he's probably doing okay. Anyway, um, sometimes I just feel like saying, like, you don't know me. You don't know me. But that's there's nothing you can do about that. Nothing you can do except your, your own actions. And you can be courteous with people. And um, I have one friend, which is the lady who I buy produce from at the market, and I buy it from her because she gives me a good price, um, and her produce isn't really that great. It's, it's, probably, it's probably the shittiest produce in the, whole, in the whole market, but it's good enough. It hasn't gotten me sick, and the price is right. Um, I don't know why her produce is so shitty. She's pretty old. Um, you know, Maybe she just has trouble getting good stuff. Uh, and getting it there in a timely fashion. Um, I don't know, but she's she's nice to me. She's asked me, you know, where I'm from, and um, we're friends. So I've got that going for me. 
and maybe I'll make you know maybe I'll make some more friends. Maybe through soccer or through sucking dick, I will uh, you know make some more friends with Bolivians. a lot of time in the grocery store here and it's partially I feel like I'm luxuriating in my shopping because when I shop at the market it's called the 25 de Mayo there's a number of stalls and there's no browsing allowed you walk by a stall and so much as pause and they immediately ask ask you ¿Qué te vas a llevar? What do you what do you what do you what do you want? Um, and you can't just browse. You have to tell them what you want, and, and they give it to you. And it kind of makes sense. Like, if you're going to the market, you generally you should know what you want. Like, you have an objective. But that's not always how we shop in America, I feel like telling them. You know, sometimes I like to just wander the aisles and wait for inspiration to strike. I get to do that at the supermarket because there's nobody there, like, asking you what you want. Uh, you get to just walk around and take as long as you want to read the labels of the products. And I do this for quite a long time because I'm not familiar with any of the food products here. Um, you know, for example, peanut butter. That could be like a 10-minute process. Olive oil was probably, I'm serious here, it probably took me 25 minutes to settle on a bottle of olive oil. There are a lot of considerations. I spent a lot of time reading the backs and trying to suss out like the quality. I don't even really know how... I don't even really know about the importance of quality olive oil. I know you're supposed to get it in a glass bottle. Anyway, um, I just, uh, so I spend a long time and I read the labels and I try to figure out where they're from. You know, is it from Bolivia? Is it from, it's interesting. Like pasta comes from Uruguay, mostly. Um, you know, poop comes from your butthole. Some things are obvious, some things are less obvious. Uh, today I was deliberating over hot sauce and, um, this took a really long time. I ended up getting a bottle of hot sauce from Argentina. I haven't sampled it yet, but I'm, I'm hoping it's good because if it's not, <laughs> I'll be really upset. I spent all that time and didn't get a good bottle of hot sauce. But even with all the del deliberations, sometimes I'll still end up with, um, just the complete fuck up like this box of orange juice. Orange juice comes in cartons. Um, some of them have the tabs that you can uh, open and reclose. Some of them are, you just like flip open a tip, a corner, and cut off a tip. Um, and I spent a long time looking at juices. I was trying to find something juicy. <laughs> I wanted orange juice. Um, I was also, you know, thinking about value, you know, pricing wise and. Um, and I ended up getting this large carton of orange juice, which seemed like a good price, and I was excited about it, and I get home, and I realize it says soya on it, and I'm like, isn't that mean soy? And, uh, the carton was like, yep, we're actually soy milk. <laughs> Orange-flavored soy milk. Some sort of a soy milk orange juice product. It was like a, kind of like a health thing touted as a health thing. Well, now my titties are on the floor, yo. They've grown so much from just drinking that much soy milk. I knew soy milk had a small amount of estrogen in it. I knew it wasn't, I had heard that it wasn't good for men to drink it. 
but I wasn't gonna I couldn't return it because uh, I'd already opened it and I wasn't gonna let it go to waste and so I actually drank it kind of faster than normal so that I would get through to it and justify buying a new carton of orange juice and this time I would get orange juice well by the time I finished the carton my titties were on the floor <laughs> how big they had gotten from the soy milk. Um, anyway, another note about shopping. If you're wondering why something's half the price of something else, it's because it's much worse. And there should never be a doubt about that. There's probably not an error, like a, an error where you're just going to like, oh, I got this. this is only half the price of the other thing, and it's just as good. Not going to happen. I was shopping for tuna the other day, and I um, couldn't figure out why this one can of tuna was half the price. It was only nine Bolivianos. And the other can of tuna by the same company uh, was seventeen fifty. And I thought, well, I'm just going to get this nine Bolivianos one because it says tuna on it. They're both tuna. They're both packed in oil. The only difference I could see was that it said grated tuna. So it was grated I thought, well, that's not a problem for me because when I make tuna salad, I pretty much grate it anyway. I mix it up with a fork. Well, the, the grated tuna that's half the price is half the price for a reason. And that's because it's made of the buttholes of tuna. What they do is they take the buttholes of all the tuna fish. The rest of the tuna goes into the regular canned tuna. And then all the buttholes and the fins and the eyes get uh, grated up and put into the nine Boliviano can of tuna. And it was pretty gross. I ate the whole thing, but really, like, I ate it outdoors. I took it out of the kitchen quickly. I didn't want anyone to smell it. Uh, it did not smell good. It smelled like tuna fish butthole. Um, but, of course, you know, I ate it, and I didn't get sick. I didn't get sick, but I just want to, you know, put that out there that um, there's probably a reason that it's half the price. my dear friends that's the end of another painting pictures podcast i'm still amazed that you're with me through this um kind of it just tickles my armpits is what it does it tickles them gently adds a little tug now and again to the hair and it makes me want to never shave my armpits because it makes me want to want there always to be that tough soft hair for you to tug on the website for the podcast is GabeRobertsArt.com. The email address for the podcast is GabeRobertsArt at gmail.com. My Instagram account is, uh, you got it, GabeRobertsArt. Those are the best places to get in touch, send me an email, find out more, all those things. Most importantly, just just keep listening and and uh, keep on keep on keeping on. We're into the year of the monkey, everybody. I didn't even say happy 2016. Maybe I did. No, probably not. Happy 2016, everybody. Uh, it's the year of the monkey according to the Chinese calendar, and so you and your armpit hair tugging are right right online. I mean, you are just 
dialed in for this year. It's a year of playfulness um, and and a year of you know what I mean, yo? That's the sound of monkeys make. I might get to see monkeys because I'm in South America. I will definitely, definitely tell you more about that. I hope to put out a few more of these podcasts, maybe even have guests. Who knows? Who knows what could happen? Um, thanks for listening. If you would, go to or subscribe to the podcast via iTunes if you haven't already. And leave a rating and or a review. That'd be awesome. You know, things you like and things you don't like. Uh, I apologize for the crackle, crap, snackle, popple in the last uh, segment there. Don't know what it was. Some disturbance in the forest, perhaps. But we're going to keep on keeping on. And um, I will I will see you when I see you. All right? Let's not get any more specific than that. Thanks very much, everybody. Also, a quick and very heartfelt thank you to everybody that supported the fundraising drive I put on to um, to raise fundage for Bolivia, to allow me to come down here and paint and buy olive oil and peanut butter and coffee. I mean, these are luxury food items. And it's thanks to your support. I sold seven or eight paintings, I think, and received a couple of PayPal donations besides that. So I really appreciated that was so magical and made me feel so good and made this whole experience down here that much more significant. I'm going to leave you with a song. This is me singing Johnny Cash's Walk the Line. And uh, this is going out to Island Adams. Thanks, everybody. Until next time, adios. watch on this heart of mine I keep my eyes wide open all the time I keep the ends out for the tie that binds because you're mine I walk the line I find it very very easy to be true I find myself alone each day is through Yes, I'll admit I'm a fool for you Because you're mine I walk the line As sure as night is dark and day is light I keep you on my mind both day and night And happiness I've known proves that it's right Because you're mine I walk the line You've got a way to keep me on your side You give me cause for love that I can't hide 
For you I know I'd even try to turn the tide Because you're mine I walk the line I keep a close watch on this heart of mine I keep my eyes wide open all the time I keep the ends out for the tie that binds Because you're mine I walk the line